Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the 1099 for the week of May 23rd, 2016. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden. And uh, before we get started, there's a moderate to high chance there's going to be dog barking in this episode because I'm currently puppy sitting. uh, And this puppy, along with my puppy, are very vocal and there are people moving in next door. So if that happens... There's no way I'm going to put it all out. So if you hear it, I'm sorry. It's just cool ambiance. And other than the dogs, uh, by the way, this dog's name is Kalua, which is, might be my favorite dog name of all time. But other than the dogs with me today is the uh, founder of Postmortem Mag, a producer at the Boston Globe, and a freelance juggernaut at Paste, Polygon, Zam, and much more, uh, Carly Vlochi. Carly, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? I'm great. I am... It's it's like a Sunday right now, and I'm really not looking forward to the Monday, which is very common. But I'm just in general like exhausted, <laughs> and it's you know when you get through a relaxing weekend and you feel the opposite of relaxed. Yep, that's where I'm that's, at. That's me pretty much every day. Yeah, it's it's kind of not great. Like I I feel like if the like the less I do, the more tired I get. I feel like I need to do more this weekend to actually feel ready for tomorrow. But no, it's worth it to go to bed and actually just. Sleep. Sleep. Okay. So 12 hours of sleep is what you're suggesting. That should be the best. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, at least 12 to 14 hours a night. <laughs> I feel like we're going to get some solid advice from you today. Uh, <laughs> recently, we ha- I haven't had as many just freelancer freelancers uh, on this podcast. A lot of people who dabble in it or have dabbled in it and now are doing something else. Uh, so I feel like it's, it's good in a way to have someone on here to give a report of sorts of kind of <laughs> the state of what's going on with games freelancing. Because again, I, I haven't, uh, I've been out of the game for a few months, uh, maybe like half a year at this point. So yeah. if you could, can you kind of explain your current work situation to give us an idea of where you're at, how much of your energy at this point, how many hours a week is kind of devoted to freelancing? Right. I mean, let's see, I guess it depends on the week, but because my my job at the Boston Globe is part-time, which means that sometimes I'm working and sometimes I'm not. Um, and it's usually, it varies from week to week. Sometimes it's like maybe two days a week. Sometimes it could be, you know, a full-time week. Yeah. Um, but I try and make sure that freelancing is about half of my my workflow, um, unless it's a particularly busy week or month. But generally speaking, it's about half and half. How do you make sure that you don't overdo freelancing in a week, which is pretty easy to do? You can get a little bit lost in it, um, uh-huh. especially if you live alone is one of the like I live alone. And because of that, like you don't have the roommate to push you and be like, hey, let's go do something. We should go do this. We should go do that. So sometimes, sometimes you can get so focused on, well, why not make more money? Why not pick up these assignments? And you end up working you know, 60, 70, 80 hours in a week. And you're like, why did I just do that? What, what, do you have any sort of method to make sure like, okay, Carly, you need to stop <laughs> doing this? I mean, my problem is usually not necessarily like the hours I put in, but more the amount of assignments I pick up. Yep. Um, so I try and limit myself to a certain amount of pitches per week or, you know, a certain amount of assignments per week. And, you know, I don't always follow that rule, but <laughs> um, I try as hard as I can to not overwork myself um and i don't live alone which is really nice oh yeah Um, good for you yeah so basically once my roommates come home you know from their days i know what time it is and you know certain days of the week it's like oh you have you know like a like a rp game to get to or you have to meet people for drinks and you know things like that um so it's very it is helpful to live with people because then they like tell you what time it is um, but on, honestly, um, a lot of, 
a lot of it is just like my natural energy levels because I don't have as much energy as I would like. Um, so a lot of it's just like, well, I'm tired now. I worked, looked to the clock. Oh, eight hours. I think today is the day where I can just turn the computer off. And luckily I have a home office, so I can just leave my office and not do things, yeah. which is really nice. It's it, it, it pays to have a separate workspace that you can just like put away when you're done and not go back to it. Without a doubt. Uh, I my full time job, I work from home now. It's I'm only in the office one day a week and I made a you know, an effort to like, okay, I'm buying a desk, like I'm putting it in this specific corner in my room, like this is where I work. I gotta stop mm -hmm. like picking up my laptop and taking it to the couch while I watch TV or picking up my laptop and taking it to the kitchen while I'm cooking at like six. What am I doing? Uh, and the assignment thing was always something I struggled with too because again, I have a 40-hour-a-week job and then I would just do, um, at the time, it was GameSpot review writing just kind of as a, like, I'll just, I'll just do this because it's, it's fun, it's extra money and I, you know, I, I like to, I didn't want to get out of the game completely. I want to make sure I kind of still my foot in the door to make sure people are like, hey, by the way, I still know how to put words on a Word doc mostly well as long as I have an editor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I would always like I I remember when I realized that I was doing a bit too much was when I had a, I had a work conference where I needed to fly out to Anaheim. Uh, and I remember 2K16 was coming out. And then the next week, uh, NBA Live 16 was coming out. And I wow. really wanted to review those games because I'd reviewed them last year. And GameSpot had a new editor, uh, Peter Brown, took over. I'm like, I really want to make sure if he offers these to me, I can do it. And he offered the first one to me, which I turned around in like five days. There's not much sleeping in those Jeez. five days. Because like, I, I really want to be able to do this for you. Like, It's important to me. And then while I was in Anaheim, he had talked to me like, hey, you don't have to. Like you're kind of like our sports guy right now. Uh, and there's not too much inside baseball. It's not anything, you know, they wouldn't want yeah. to say. Uh, like, can you, do you mind taking an assignment? And so like they had to like overnight it to me. So like I flew in from California and then on my door was the other NBA game. And I'm like, uh. well, the embargo's <laughs> up. So I need to push this. And that's the kind of thing you can get into. I think if you don't, like you said, like manage assignments and make sure that you, you're not going crazy and oh yeah, putting all of your energy and maybe a little bit more than you have all into freelance. Yeah, I did, I definitely did that recently. Um, as much as I try to make sure that I don't overwork myself, it's impossible. Um, so like, I don't even know what day it is, but <laughs> I think whenever, it's Sunday. Uh, yeah, May, I think. Um, so I think it was a week ago, whenever PAX East was, and I was just like, Oh, Hey, I'll do some work at PAX. And then, one of my editors was like, hey, can you turn around this review really quickly? And because I am moving and need money, I was like, yes, sure. And that was a huge mistake. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, it, it, people should know at this point, like reviews are not not an easy turnaround. <laughs> it is, no. especially if like the game is they hand you like a 30 hour game. Hopefully it wasn't a 30 hour. No, game. it was. Luckily, the campaign was only like 10 hours long. Oh, great. Um, But it was. There was a point where I kept, I was stuck on this one battle that I just couldn't beat. And all I can think about is I'm never going to finish this game. So I'm never going to get this review done. Not has nothing to do with the game itself, which was fun. <laughs> <laughs> My anxiety will kick in when stuff like that happens because it's uh, very often you're playing a game that isn't released yet. 
Uh, yep. And if you're playing, let's say, a puzzle game, which I was for GameSpot, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm an idiot, <laughs> and I'm stuck on this puzzle, and there are no solutions out there, and like, here comes yeah. the deadline. I've never personally missed a deadline, but that is one of my biggest fears, is like, get stuck in a review, because the game, I cannot figure this out. Like, I've reached out to, um, this is way before I went for GameSpot, I reached out to a publisher, because I'm like, look... I have no idea how to do this. And he was giving me subtle hints. Like he was giving yeah. me almost a riddle, which kind of made it was this weird game in a game inception moment where I had to figure out like, okay, what's his riddle to apply to his game's riddle. And yeah, that's reviews in that way when they're unreleased can be weird. And uh, yeah, I've done that too. Yeah. The worst, the worst was when I had to do a point and click game review um, for a game that wasn't, like it was in English, but it, the game studio was not in America or in an English-speaking country. Oh no! So the translation was sketchy. Yes, yeah, translation was sketchy, and I, of course, it wasn't released yet, and you couldn't really like email the people to ask because they didn't speak English. So it was a lot of a lot of me clicking everything, you know, as you do in point clicks, <laughs> yeah. clicking everything and trying every combination of things and seeing when things work. And I did eventually finish, but it was it was so frustrating. It should not have taken as long as it should have. And it was one of those things where then I was like, okay, how do I do I put this in the review or not? Because I'm not the best at point and click games. I enjoy them, but I'm not the best at them. That, and that is always something I've considered. Is like yeah. you have to look at like if there's a, if there's difficulty spikes. Is like is it because I am bad at this? Which is a weird thing to say because it's your experience. That's what a review is. It's your opinion on it, but. If you go through the stretch and then realize you were just being stupid or like, am I just, mm -hmm. the, am I like one of a hundred people that's not going to notice this one item that I missed? Is this something I should point out this part's hard or is it like, that's always something I've, like, I do not love reviewing puzzle games. Like I am not a fan of that. And I could never imagine reviewing a Dark Souls game because I, oh God, no. I like feel like I would get like halfway through and just be like, I don't, I can't beat this part. Like grinding isn't even helping. I'm at hour sixty. My life is falling apart. Like, yeah, that would be not. <laughs> yeah, that's why I never take on like games that are that large because there's just no way. I've never, I've never reviewed a game that big, and I don't really ever plan on it unless it's a really interesting, like, like Fallout Four or something. Um, but otherwise, like, yeah, I try to keep my game reviews to games that are maybe like fifteen hours long at the most. Or I can 20 at the most, maybe, in a 15-hour campaign and then, like, you know, five hours of multiplayer or whatever, depending on the game. Because <laughs> there's just... I I can't put in that much time and effort into a game and then, like, not enjoy it, especially if it's a game that, like like you said, Dark Souls. Yeah. Not going to happen. Again, I mean, you're you're doing this because you, you, of course, want the money. This is, this is part yes. of your job. How long did it take for you to actually get your first paid gig? Because so often... There's different stories. A lot of people, like for me, I came up with a lot of uh, kind of volunteer-based sites where I'm writing for experience because I was young, really wanted to do this, but I was not good enough yet when I was 17 or 18 to actually get mm -hmm. picked up by an IGN or a GameSpot. So did you do a lot of that work at smaller sites first? Or did you kind of have experience through college or other means and then jump right into games journalism at a paid level? My path is weird because, one, I wasn't really into games until college. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't want to write in like for journalism's sake, like I wanted to do like background stuff like producing or copy editing and things like that. Um, and it was just one of those things that kind of accidentally happened. 
um, at an internship I had, which was at like this local all weekly paper. And it was like, oh, Boston has a games industry that no one's talking about. I can write about that. Yeah. That can be my niche. And then I can, you know, make contacts and maybe make this a thing. Um, and plus, like, I want it was one of those things where, like, I, oh, I, if I do this, then I can also learn about games more and get more into it. Um, and that was unpaid because I was an intern um, at like a really small newspaper. Um, and that was, I'd say, junior, senior year of college. I don't, I don't exactly remember. Mm. Um, but after, not too long after that, I pitched to like Paste. And Garrett was one of the first editors I ever worked with who was like, you, like, I appreciate you trying to pitch me, but you need to pitch me better. And this is how you, you know, pitch a review. This is how, you know, what kind of ideas do you have? This is, you know, editing and, you know, the basic things. And that was something I really needed. And that was kind of my first thing. It was, you know, like, oh, I can get paid for this. Let's try. I, that actually plays right into the kind of next topic I want to bring up because I had mentioned just a few of the sites you've written for. You've written for even more is was paste one of the biggest influences on your world development as you know a games writer or in the games media are there other sites that you can look at and be like this is what helped me get to where i am today because i i will always look at GameSpot and what kevin did for me and realize like he made me a better writer but coming up uh when i was writing for the sites and not getting paid it was those editors who really were good enough editors that they weren't afraid to, you know, hurt my feelings. They weren't afraid to say like, this part sucks and you need to fix it. Like this, and you, you do this yeah. a lot, you do this a lot. And I needed that and I got better and you learn how to, uh, both apply the edits, but also just take the edits and become a better editor and writer and, uh, just a better person to work with. So is there a single site you can kind of point at that was like, Hey, this is what really made me better. I mean, pace was definitely a place because, I mean, there were a couple of sites I saw and read when I was just starting to get into games. Like, for a while, I thought it was just, you know, the IGNs and the game spots. And that wasn't particularly interesting to me, just in terms of, like, enthusiast fan coverage. But then there were sites like, it's like Nightmare Mode and Big Creature and, like, things like that that were just weird, long essays about games. And I realized that there was a whole you know, area of games writing where people actually wanted to have these weird conversations and think really deeply into how you talk about games. And it was like a kind of conversation I hadn't known existed before. Um, so I wanted to kind of write like that. And I'm glad that I, you know, found Paste um, because it was a, it's a place that does allow those kinds of conversations. And you know, Garrett Martin, who is the editor there, is, you know, he is that editor who was like, he was very, he's very patient, which is, which is great, because I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> um, it was, it was a matter of just like, I didn't really like pitch the way you are supposed to yep. pitch. There's I a format. Just, there's like, exactly. yeah, there's a certain like, you sh shouldn't be, you know, no more than this word, like this many words. Like I had to, I read a book by Nathan Minier, who's been on this podcast, mm -hmm. who had like really, yeah. if I wouldn't have read that, I wouldn't have gotten accepted to IGN because I had no idea what the hell a pitch was. Yeah, exactly. And he didn't really like specifically like teach me how to pitch, but he was basically like, don't do this ever. <laughs> and that was like, oh, okay, I won't do that ever again. Um, You know, just things like, I have this game review. Do you want it? <laughs> How do you and feel it's about like, this review? Maybe pay me money? 
And it's like, no, don't do that ever. <laughs> like, let let like pitch the review. Don't write it. Yeah, that's, you know, let them that's a huge let them come one. to you if you have an established relationship. You know, there's a whole other a whole ton of other things you can do. Just don't do that. <laughs> and he was the one who was like, don't talk about these things. These things are so boring. You know, these are the work counts people like. And it was very a very good education that wasn't too high pressure. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was that's a huge reason why I'm you know like okay, this is how I go and do things now. And I can pitch to other sites now. You and Garrett are unique in that. I've had him on the podcast too and I, I wrote for some reason only one thing for Pace, but I wrote for Pace at one point. Uh <laughs> you're both like there's definitely this enthusiast nature to games writing that sometimes like I understand it but it can't irk me. Uh mm-hmm. where it you know I the, I prefer these you know, how we talk about games, uh, how games are made, uh, like these long, like journalistic pieces or these long, really like opinionated pieces that aren't fawning over the fact that Sora has a different hairstyle in New Kingdom Hearts or anything (laughs) like that. Like that doesn't really interest me. Uh, And I think you and Garrett are similar in that you had mentioned you weren't really that into games beforehand. You kind of came upon the industry and uh, you saw the opportunity in Boston and kind of branched off from there, then got your appreciation later. And I, I, I think we need more of that. Uh, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to say where it's like, we need more people who don't initially love games <laughs> as much when they're children to write about games because I, you know, I'll, I, I come from that background of really liking games. You know, I, Nintendo mm-hmm. when I was a kid and went through all the different console iterations. But, I mean, that's what most people are, yeah. I, I feel like. I think and it does make me feel a little like left out sometimes because I don't have like Nintendo nostalgia. Or... Oh, but that's okay. Like you totally get yeah, a different exactly. angle that like it makes me like reading your stuff because it's it's I want that. It's the same thing I've talked to people about. I want to read the review, the Madden 17 review by someone who doesn't really play Madden. Like I want these yeah. different opinions. I want to play I want to read the Kingdom Hearts 3 review of the person who doesn't really know who Goofy is. Like I I like these different <laughs> kind of angles on it because it do we really want the same, you know, do we want the hyper fan who has a Keyblade tattoo? I don't know why I keep bringing up Kingdom Hearts, but it's what's like in my head. Like a, a Keyblade tattoo on their wrist to review Kingdom Hearts 3. Like maybe because they understand all the different like characters and the different like machinations of the systems. But also that person is inherently this hyper fan who might hyperventilate when a new trailer comes out. So it's that balance between who do you want covering games and who do you want exploring them? The hyper fan or the person who can kind of take a step back. Exactly. And I do think, like you said, it gives a new perspective on things. And like, I, I've talked on Twitter sometimes about how I do feel a little like lost sometimes when I'm in on games, Twitter or in games conversation. I'm just like, I've never really played a Sonic game ever. That's fine. But yeah, like I know, I know it's fine. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, those, those like thoughts in the back of your head are just like, oh, no, you're in the wrong place. You're terrible. Why are you even bothering? And Garrett's always just been like, yeah, who cares? He is hyper, hey, who cares? I remember he, him even pretty much saying, I got him on the podcast, and him pretty much saying, like, yeah, like, you know, in comedy, I like doing this a lot, too, and games are fine. Like, it, and I, I mean, again, yeah. I appreciate that, and I think at this point, and this is not me blaming GameSpot or IGN, it's, they're great sites, but those enthusiast sites kind of set the tone for how games are talked about, and how games are mm-hmm. cr- uh, criticized, and how they're... Uh, looked at and previewed and it's that enthusiast mentality and that's they very often hire people directly out of college who are very enthusiastic um, and know a little bit too much about video games and <laughs> that's what readers get used to and they kind of get used to the very strong 
positive outlook on a lot of games, which if you like a game and a game is great, give it a high score. But and I think that's yeah. where you see some of that part of the uh, kind of kickback from people who when you God, I, I hate bringing up Nick Capizzoli again because I'm just going to keep inflating his ego. But when you <laughs> see a Dead Rising 3 review that tackles like you know, sexist, you know, sexism in the game and gives it a 3, like it's just thousands of comments and they want to burn him at the stake because they're used to the guy who is a Dead Rising fan playing Dead Rising and saying, man, killing zombies sure is fun. It's a different way yeah. to look at things. And both are fine, but I, there's, there's room for both. But the fact that there's such this, oh, yeah. like pile on the guy who is negative and looks at it in a different way I, I that that bugs me yeah there's there's a there's room for both kinds of games coverage i think because there is like enthusiast crowds who are just who just want to know like like to go off your examples like when kingdom hearts 3 is coming out um and all the updates surrounding that and that's fine um and there's room for people who also want to have you know conversations about how grand theft auto 5 deals with women and that's fine too um it's just that some people on both sides tend to dismiss both. Yes. Um, and it's, I mean, it's sad because yeah, I like, I do like enthusiast coverage on occasion, just not necessarily with games. Cause I'm into, I'm into, I'm into games. I write about games. I'm way more into, you know, movies and television mm-hmm. as like a, as a medium. So I'll like, you know, Marvel news comes out. I, I start screaming at my desk because <laughs> see you're I, enthusiast. I, That's fine. Yes, I am a I am a Marvel movie enthusiast, and it's you know I can look at these movies critically, but beforehand I'm all you know squee and hype. Yeah, and I understand that, and it's fun to be that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think there is room for both um, in in games specifically because I feel like you know there's that in other like. There's that kind of like weird conflict in other mediums, but I feel like in games it's the it's just very strange. I'm like eight Marvel very movies, like eight Marvel movies behind right now. Like I, I'm so sad. I used to be so caught up, and like <laughs> I haven't seen the second Captain America, the second Thor, Ant Man, Guardians of the Galaxy, the second Avengers. Uh, but like two of those are amazing. I I see. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was too much. I, I did just finish season two of Daredevil on Netflix, and I've never felt so, like, I'm highly anticipating the next one, but also just so, like, unsatisfied with how it ended. Uh, yeah. I, I have very Same. complicated feelings about television shows. I like television shows a lot, too. Uh, if this was a Mad Men podcast, I think I would have <laughs> more fun. So let's say, as a scenario, next month you decide that you are solely going to focus on how much money can I make freelancing? So you're not worried about the creative aspect. You're not worried about like, well, I want to pitch my favorite editor. You want to make sure you are trying to write the 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 most money raking in content at the right sites. So what sort of content mm-hmm. would you lean on and what sites would you try to stick to? Because for me, I've always said I was almost strictly re- like a reviewer. I would never suggest reviews unless they're three-hour indie games if you actually want to live off your freelance money. So kind of what angle would you choose to make sure that you are making the most money writing the, the right content? Like, I love games writing, but... And it's gotten better, I should say, like, in terms of pay yes. over the past year or so, just because, like, there are certain outlets that have kind of raised the bar. Um, but generally, if I want to make, like, tons of money... Um, I'll try and like pitch something to like I've written for like Vice, um, and they pay a decent amount depending on the site. And there's a few others, um, and just like so, I have my you know general list of sites that I pitch to, mm. 
which is a lot. I should <laughs> be more selective. Um, I, I mean, if you're going to freelance as much as you freelance, it's good to have a wide array just in case, you know, a site shutters and editor changes. You never know what's going to happen. Exactly. And then I have, so I have this Twitter list that is, it's my writing gigs and tips list. Um, and a lot of it is kind of not, you know, relevant, but there is some stuff there that's like, here's a freelance gig. Here's somebody taking pitches. Here's this, here's this. Um, and if I really do want to make money, I'll go through that and just check. I have, I'm in a ton of groups. I subscribe to a bunch of emails. Um, and if I absolutely need money, I'll go away from, you know, just doing like critical analysis on, you know, something yeah. or, or I do also a lot, a lot of like interviews. I do really enjoy interviews. Interviews are also really good at you. You get paid well for an interview that, you know, I, I think they're extremely interesting to do and they do take time, but not nearly as much as again, a review. Uh, yeah, exactly. And if you find like, um, like I'm on Tumblr a lot and when you're into fan cultures, um, you find out a lot of like kind of, you know, cool, weird stuff that's going on. And that's stuff that a lot of sites are really interested in right now. So, for example, recently I wrote a piece for Broadly um, about Janice Poon, who's the food stylist for Hannibal, or she was the food stylist for Hannibal, because I was on Tumblr and I saw that she has coming out with a cookbook and the Hannibal fandom was really excited about it. Um, so I figured I can try and pitch this somewhere. Yeah. It's a good way to find pitches. So I do try and like just kind of bunker down and just look for options. And I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. Um, so I'll do try and like be like, okay, I can find an interview somewhere. Or I have this really cool idea for, because I've been thinking a lot about, you know, Steven Universe, because I think a lot about Steven Universe all the time. <laughs> um, so there's that. And then, you know, sometimes I'll do like, you know, some like copy editing stuff, copywriting, marketing stuff, because it pays the bills. Um, and that's fine, too. Um, it's definitely a hustle. It is um, erratic and crazy and stressful. Um, but I don't know. I feel like if I had like a full time gig where I was doing the same thing every day, I wouldn't be as happy or I would enjoy I wouldn't enjoy my work as much. Yeah, it's and it's been even different for when I got my first, you know, big boy full time job out of college. It's <laughs> it's been, you know, it, it's good to have that security, but it's also weird to. I'm a very, I I run on like getting stuff done. I am yeah. at most, you know, happy, energized when I'm like writing a lot, working out a lot, studying a lot, doing all this stuff. And when you switch to like, and now you have like this one thing that's solid, and you're doing it, and you have a list of tasks. It's like. Uh, like this is it's a little <laughs> bit it's, it's it can be constricting and that's why uh this new development job with tan gentleman has been such like a godsend because it's exactly what i like yeah. to do and it's like oh thank god i need i need two jobs to fully mm -hmm. be myself i feel like uh yeah it's and that's why i like kind of having like the part-time job that's steady and then doing freelancing because that's when you know like well at least i'll have enough money this month to pay rent i would always and then sometimes that. i'll have extra money yeah that would always be my advice to someone who's like, if you go full time, make sure you have like this thick Rolodex of people who you can contact <laughs> and make sure that you have all the like the right stuff. Otherwise, like, yeah, but I'm the kind of person who if, if like, I think if I took that kind of jump, I would go a little crazy. I might go overboard and I'd be afraid about overworking <laughs> again. Uh, you, 
when you're talking about like all these different ideas you're looking for and these different people you're pitching to, have you ever felt hampered because you mentioned that you don't have these Nintendo memories and these Sonic memories and all this stuff? From Do you ever feel like there's content that you kind of can't write or you can't reference because you only have, uh, you know, a certain level of depth of knowledge about games because of how long you've played them? Do you ever felt like you don't have as much you can write about because of just when you started to get into video games? Sometimes. Um, it's only really come become an issue when, you know, I'm writing for, and I write for a site and the site's like, we're having a theme month or a theme week and it's Nintendo oh, yeah. or PlayStation 2 games or something. And I'm just like, well, I've written about every PlayStation 2 game I've ever played. And it's mostly just Silent Hill. <laughs> um, so it's like, well, how many times can I write about this thing? Um, and that's really the only time it comes it becomes a problem hmm. um most of the time when i like say like oh i worry that i don't know enough about games it's really all just in my head nobody really cares um unless it's for like an enthusiast gig yeah which i don't usually apply for so it's never been an issue um and sometimes i've been able to use that in my writing um in like once i wrote a piece for five out of ten that was about nostalgia and it was basically like well, why is there gaming nostalgia and why is it so frenzied and crazy? Um, and it was it was interesting to like research all that um, and to get that kind of like insight into the like gaming industry at large. Yeah. No, I, again, from that outsider's perspective, I think that's something that we need more of. That's interesting to me. It's like someone who doesn't have this inherent nostalgia every time you hear the coin noise or the sound when you stomp on a Goomba and Mario. Like, I want to know what that person thinks about that kind of stuff. Uh, another thing I've yeah. been trying to figure out a lot is Zam because you write for Zam and it's, mm-hmm. it went through kind of this whole site relaunch. They have a really good uh, new editors on there who are doing fantastic mm-hmm. work. And uh, yeah. actually right before I kind of said like, I'm not going to freelance. That was, I was preparing to, I was in contact with them and I was getting ready to start pitching them and we were going to start working mm-hmm. together. But I never got a chance to. So it's somewhere that you've written. Um, yes. And they've made a really strong freelancer push. So what's I mean, what's the editing environment been like? Uh, what's kind of the, the flexibility you get with what you want to write? I mean, how has Zam been so far to write for? I love writing for Zam. I know that they've been like kind of backing down a teeny bit on how many freelance pieces they take, but they're really pretty much open to anything, which is really cool. They're kind of like paced in the sense that they'll do some enthusiast stuff, but it's mostly like critical pieces or funny stuff or fun, entertaining listicles and, you know, just a whole mesh of different things. And so it is very flexible and the editors are great. Um, I mean, they're experienced and, you know, they know what they're doing, which is always wonderful. You know, like you're going to get great edits back and you know, your piece is going to turn out the best way it can, which is wonderful. Um, and they pay really well, which is really nice. They really do. <laughs> yeah. I remember, of course, like I'm not disclosing <laughs> rates, but I remember getting the rate and I was like, oh man, I should freelance for Sam. Like where? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like I know that it really depends from, from site to site, like how much you can pay. And I understand there are some places that just can't pay Sam rates and that's totally fine. Um, and some of those sites are great and I will work for them anyway. Um, but the fact that like Sam has this entire like package going for it is really nice. Yeah. Um, and, and it is new. So you can like almost kind of shape where it goes being like, Hey, I know you're new, but would you be interested in this weird kind of story I have? And that can like shape the site going forward. So like, you know, I just write, I've written like reviews for them 
And like when they were first, first starting, I was like, I'm going to pitch a story about girls games because I'm going to Indicate and that's the thing that's interesting. And there's a girl there. Um, just something completely random that seemed to stick and totally worked. And, you know, it was like, ah, okay, these are the kinds of stories I can write for them. And it's been really nice. The sh- I would highly recommend anybody try and write there. Yeah, the shape of Zam is what I think I might be most interested in, in the future because it's there's not there have been a lot of site closures in the last like two years. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it, and then there have been some new sites that opened up, but one of uh, I think I think Zam is intended to be pretty big. And again, I when I was offered the rate, I'm like, they are really going for it with this. Uh, they're trying to make mm-hmm. this a really good place for freelancers to go to. It's just, I, I, I do hope that like it does, you know, stabilize. And after it gets through that initial, like it's new looking phase, it keeps going and finds <laughs> an audience. Cause it, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's extremely difficult yeah. if you're not IGN and GameSpot to get an audience and maintain it, especially if you are mostly a writing based site like Zam seems to be. And uh, so you look mm-hmm. at like Giant Bomb has personality based stuff. It's a lot of video. They have their own yeah. thing. They're not exactly competition with IGN and GameSpot. It's a different thing. With Zam right now, uh, they technically are a competition for IGN and GameSpot, even though they're on a smaller scale. And the issue mm-hmm. with so much freelance content is if you don't have a lot of the same freelancers uh people don't really know who the people are so it's hard and you Mm -hmm. have to know this too it's hard to establish an identity uh as a freelancer because you don't get the the same boost as a full-time writer again at an ign spot so that's my only concern is that it doesn't i hope it takes on its own personality but if you have a lot of freelancers every new feature is written by someone different and then people don't know who these people are which is my only like again these are all things that i'm super happy zam exists Mm -hmm. and then has all these freelancers i just hope that it can establish itself and have its its own voice that people keep coming back to if that makes sense yeah i mean like you said it's the hard that's the hardest thing about starting a new site is like okay what's this site going to look like and what you think is gonna it's gonna look like is always going to be completely different when it actually happens yeah um but but i do think it's starting to you know, there are people, freelancers that are frequent and, you know, it's kind of has a tone that's starting to set. So I do think it's probably going to get there pretty, pretty quickly, probably by the end of the year, I think. Um, not necessarily something that's personality based like Giant Bomb, um, but I think it'll like, it still has, has a personality to it. Like it's got like, you know, Daniel Rando and like Chris Ligman and just like all these great people. And I think that'll definitely like seep through more as the site gets more comfortable. And that's, you know, that's every site. Yeah. And, and I do think like what you said about like freelancers getting like an identity. I mean, it's, it's funny because people always joke about like their hashtag brand <laughs> about, you know, like, Oh, this is my hashtag brand as a freelancer. Um, and everywhere I go, it is like, Oh, carving a niche for yourself is, you know, really good for you as a freelancer because then people can be like oh i have this story i will pitch it to this person Mm -hmm. who is absolutely perfect for it and i do think that is very helpful um and but i haven't really established myself in that kind of way um because i'm just into too many things (laughs) like like i said like i love games but i also love movies i love television i love books and just sci-fi fantasy stuff and i feel like i might be into too many things um, that's fine. And I think, yeah. I, I mean, 
we've been talking about it, you could always be the person who got into games later and can give a different side of it, the non-enthusiast side yeah. from someone who's not, you know, born and bred in games. I think that in itself, for me, is personally interesting. Yeah. But, you know, there's, you know, we, you know that. Um, and, but like a new and a casual reader probably wouldn't get that unless I stated it specifically. Um, but I think that's fine too, because even though I don't have like a specific, you know, quote unquote, hashtag brand, I do think I love that. love hashtag so much. <laughs> I don't, I try not to use it on Twitter because then you get the spam bots, but. That's all I want. Generally... Give me those spam bots. Build my Twitter following hashtag brand. <laughs> I reach, you know, another 15 followers if they're all spam bots. Oh, throw a party. <laughs> that was me in the very, very beginning of Twitter. <laughs> oh, me too. like, oh, my God, I've got 100 followers now. Oh, they were all spam bots, and now I'm down to 80. <laughs> yeah, Twitter's a weird – Twitter's unbelievably important, especially as a freelancer, to, once again, build your hashtag brand. But it's also just <laughs> a strange mess of, like, someone's – 2,000 followers are not always the same as another person's 2,000 followers. I feel like sometimes people are collecting their followers like baseball cards where it's like, oh, man, I got the editor from IGN. That is a rare rookie card compared to <laughs> all your bots, which are just like these hey penny in a booster pack, throw them away, use it to like prop up your table cards. Oh, yeah. I mean, my partner is also in like games and does games writing. So it is kind of like, oh, look at this person who followed me. And we do that back and forth all the time. Um, and it's, and, but, you know, over time I've learned to just kind of not worry about Twitter followers so much. Like in the beginning, it was like, if someone followed me, I had to follow them back because then they would unfollow me. But now, but now if somebody like with, you know, 20,000 Twitter followers and they follow 20,000 people and they're like, have all the hashtags in their bio. Yeah. I don't trust that that guy. That that guy's a robot. Or is a person who is like attempting to transform into a robot. Like that is, it's, yeah. Ugh. Like yeah. Again, like if that is your strategy, or they, these, there's these people on Twitter's weird where they have like thirty thousand followers, but it's like no one really knows who they are. They just have all these followers and they favorite everything you've ever tweeted, just hoping you'd be like, oh, they favorited me. Look, all their followers. I'll follow him. It's the weirdest thing. I. I have this weird long block list and this weird long like you need to interrogate this guy because this guy might be a, a, a crazy maniac who's trying to get a weird Twitter <laughs> army. Uh, Could be. <laughs> so you had mentioned that you might be into too many things. And I think the idea of being into a little bit of everything is something that I go back and forth on in terms of freelancing because I, I think there are two kind of schools of thought where there's the you should know a little bit about everything so you can write a little bit about everything and make money, especially for full-time freelancing. And then there's mm-hmm. also the focus on what you're good at. And if you do that, you can do it well and make money that way. When I was talking to uh, Dan Stapleton from IGN, he had mentioned like mm-hmm. what he hates the most is when someone he's like, hey, what, you know, what genres do you know a lot about? And the guy's like, all of them. Like, no, you're fine. <laughs> you do not. You, 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 don't, you don't play MMOs as much as you play racing games or uh cricket games like you can't say all of them you should like (laughs) you know say exactly what you're good at but yeah i I do think for me i think that's kind of where i fall where uh i had certain genres i was good at and i know i'm like i enjoy like you like interviewing i enjoy doing profiles um i don't love Mm -hmm. doing news um but i mean if you were to go full-time freelance tomorrow uh Ugh. i know it's a terrifying thought <laughs> um would you make an effort to kind of 
even know a little bit more about everything, like, okay, I'm going to start making sure I can edit video. I'm going to start making sure I am a great streamer. I'm going to make sure I have on-camera experience. Would that kind of be the way you would go or would you kind of go the way you are now and focus more on what you know you're good at? I mean, I would say yes, but I'm also into a lot of things already. Like I do, like when I was in college, I knew that, you know, this was going to be tough. So I did take video classes. I did, you know, I do know how to stream. I know how to write a whole, all different things from news to features, interviews, you know, anything. I know how to do social media. I know how to do, I do web producing for my day job and I'm very good at it. Um, Cause I knew that, you know, going into this industry was going to suck. Yep. And so I, I already kind of have that. It's just a matter of having samples that you can show people. Um, and I think that if I was to go full-time freelance, I would probably like work on my portfolio quite a bit and, and say, you know, like <laughs> I always try and like pitch like movie stuff and I'm like, crap, I don't have any movie <laughs> articles. So I'll probably, you know, work on that a bit. Like right now I've got like some tech stuff. I've got some television stuff. I got video game stuff, obviously. And that works when you're trying to pitch something. It's weird when you, you personally know you're like educated and good at something, but you don't have any sort of applicable something you could send yeah. to someone. Like I, uh, when I was applying for a full-time job at a major site, one of the big things they were pushing was like, where's your on-camera experience? And I had it from mm -hmm. 2013 and I know I am still pretty good at it, but because it was so old and I didn't have any proof, I was like, God damn it. Like, I know I'm good at this, but I understand why you wouldn't hire me because like, I can't show you, like, I can't yeah. do this. So yeah, it, it's a weird thing where you're like, well, now I need to go, I don't know, put my dog in a chair and pretend to interview my dog and then send that over. <laughs> that's pretty, that's some hot on camera stuff for my hashtag brand. Yeah. Or like, you know, write something for your blog or something like something for free. And so you can show it because nobody cares how experienced you are as if you don't have the proof to back it up, you need, you need writing samples. You need, if you're doing video, video samples, you need all that proof to show people like, Hey, you can look at my resume, but here's the proof that I can do the thing that I'm telling you I can do. Um, cause like, like I said, like I can do a whole ton of things. But only half those things I can prove that I can actually do because I don't do video all that often. Um, so, yeah, it's, it would really be a matter of like building my portfolio and be like, I can do this thing. I can I'll probably learn how to audio edit, too, because that's also really important to do. Um, just like knowing a little bit of everything, I think, is very helpful. But I, I think it's like kind of trying to find a balance between, you know, knowing what you're good at, but then also being good at a bunch of stuff. Because then it kind of can diversify your resume yeah. and diversify the number of kinds of jobs you can take. But in the chance that you can strike up a relationship with someone, you do have that you know niche to fall back on so that they know who you are and can contact you. Yeah. Again, like it's shocking how important your portfolio is. It's shocking how – I mean these jobs, if you're going for a full-time job, it is going to be – insanely competitive it's there are yeah. so many people out there who i can already tell you're gonna have more experience than you it's how you know how well can you present yourself and i even remember for my full-time job uh, i was at a conference again and we have like on-camera interviews then we have a specific interviewer for it and she got sick and they needed someone to fill in and i am i also do uh audio interviews for my other job mm -hmm. and they're like okay josiah could you do this immediately i'm like no, because I had like uh, two hours to um, think up questions for three interviews about 
like software and I my full-time job is not about video games and I know so much less about how the agile methodology fits into this specific iPhone uh compared to I could talk a lot about Final Fantasy 8 if that's what you want your interview to be on <laughs> so uh but I ended up doing it because I was the only real option who was able to talk and not immediately vomit on a camera uh <laughs> and I so I'm so happy even though at the time I was like sweaty and like oh this is going to be the worst I'm so happy I went through it and like know I did well because I have those video clips now. I have that in my portfolio where it's like, hey, here's like non-baby Josiah who has actually been in front of the <laughs> camera. And it's it's something that if I ever wanted to pursue a full-time job in this industry again, I have that there. And that's another question for you. So, I mean, right now, freelancing, part-time job, is your goal? Is your goal with all of this? Has your goal always been, I want to get a full-time gig at, let's say, a Kotaku or at a Zam. Do you want that? Uh, is that kind of the the final destination in your mind, or do you like what's going on with what you're doing? I go back and forth on it. I think I would really like to be the editor of, like, not a big site, but, like, a smaller site. Like, Zam size is a pretty good size. Mm-hmm. Um, Kotaku might be a little big. Well, you but... can get the AIC of that. You can do it. Oh, uh, no. stars. Uh no, not, maybe I'll think about it in like five Yeah, years. no, that just got me stressed saying it out loud. <laughs> oh, God, could you imagine? It's terrifying. But sometimes I'm also like, but if I had a bunch of freelance gigs that I can do regularly and then like, I don't know, write books or something. I always say I'm going to write books and I'm still like. Me like, too. I'm only like four or 5,000 words into my novel that I've been writing for a year and a half. So it's like, whatever. I'm zero, so but, I've got a head start. <laughs> So it, it it I go back and forth depending on the kind of mood I'm in. I guess like my ultimate dream is just to be able to live comfortably doing what I want, whether it is editing or writing or freelancing or, you know, anything that comes up. So that I'm like, you know, I'm not completely overworking myself because in journalism that's very easy to do. I'm not struggling because that's also really easy to do in journalism. But if I'm in a comfortable place where I can write the things I want to write and also, you know, afford things and be free, but also write, then I'll probably be okay. That's, that's a goal. Yeah. That is a goal. So I have one more question for you and knock on wood. I'm shocked that neither of these dogs have freaked out yet and decided they <laughs> want to make a guest appearance on my podcast. Um, yeah, I'm surprised my cat, she likes to scratch at the door when I close it. Every once in a while, animals are good at like, oh no, this is some this is some shit that's recording, I don't want to mess this up, and they're both currently sleeping on the floor, so they're kind of having me in this weird holding pattern, they're surrounding me, so getting off this chair is going to be an interesting <laughs> situation, but uh, I, if we want to build your hashtag brand, if we want people to, <laughs> like if someone's listening to this right now, and uh, they like what they hear, and they kind of want to get a better idea of who you are as a writer, personally, what do you see as maybe if not the most representative piece what you see as your best feature your best review your best article because it's it's always hard to look back at stuff you wrote before there are definitely reviews i look back at now and i'm like oh my god why was this published (laughs) i am the worst i should have to pay this person back for what i have to do up here so yeah but then there's also and i I said it multiple times this podcast but it's always like my nba 2k15 review is where like my interests my what i'm good at all came together and it was just a review that i look at and i'm like that was a good video game review and i would send that to someone if they're like what you know show me one of your reviews that's the one i would give them do you have one in your mind where this is like this is where everything kind of came together and the final product is something i'm proud of 
Yeah, I would say um, there's a couple, but my main one is probably my Steven Universe opinion piece over at Polygon, mm -hmm. um, which was, I think it was last year, um, where I basically made the case that Steven Universe is better at explaining what a healthy relationship and what <laughs> consensual sex looks like than most things, other things that are on TV right now. And it's, you know, it's a kid's show. Um, and it was something that I really loved writing because it was something that was so passionate for me. Like, I love the show and I, you know, love seeing, you know, depictions, like really accurate depictions of like consensual relationships yeah. and, you know, PTSD and like these kinds of like really complex mental um, issues that, you know, some places can screw up so badly. And especially in things like cartoons, things that are kind of for a younger audience, I think is great because, you know, that means it's, you know, shaping the next generation. Like people are going to want, like young kids are going to watch Steven Universe and be like, oh, I want a relationship um, like these two characters have because it's a, it's one based on like health, healthy, like communication and, you know, consent and comfortability. And it's so nice. Um, and I mean, people like in the comments were, you know, being nitpicky as people in the comments are, but people, some people being like, oh, I have never heard of the show before. I'm going to watch it now. And I was like, good. My job is done. <laughs> I got people to watch Steven Universe. Spreading the good whether word. it was, yeah, I got two people at least to watch Steven Universe and that's fine with me. So that's probably the piece I'm most proud of because it was something I was really happy to write about, about a topic I really loved writing about and love you know, engaging in. And then people were like, I'm going to watch this show now because you convinced me. And that means I did my job. Yeah. And again, as writers, it can be extremely difficult to find one of your own uh, pieces of work and be like, this is good. Because uh, it usually goes to the stages of like, this is the hottest of garbage. And then you give it an edit and you're like, <laughs> okay, this is like lukewarm garbage. And then by the end, you're like, this is something that I can live with. Uh, and yeah. then you just go from the edits from there. Yeah. Usually to walk away and be like, this was this was good. This is a good thing that I wrote that I am very comfortable to share on Twitter for my hashtag brand that everyone should read. Uh, and yes. please like, comment, and subscribe. That's really, that, that's all exactly. you have to say on a tweet. Um, so if people do want to find you on Twitter, I am doing so much for your brand. You're going to thank me so much in like 10 years. <laughs> it's all going to be because of this. Uh, how do they find you? <laughs> Um, well, I have, you know, just a normal website at carlyveloci.wordpress.com. I'm on Twitter at Veloci Raptor, which is just my last name and Raptor at the end of it or Velociraptor with an extra C. Oh, um, it's a joke. Oh my God. God, God <laughs> This is all making too much. This again because I looked at your last name and didn't actually like parse it out and just saw like starts with the V and then has lots of C's in it and I can't pronounce that. This all makes so much sense. <laughs> oh my god! I I always joke that I should get uh, a shirt with a a raptor on it to wear to public events should? so that people know that like this is the like they're like oh you're the raptor person on Twitter. Oh my god! <laughs> I we figured out your brand. That's it. That, my brand is dinosaurs, yeah. which I'm fine with because I've got them all over my business cards. See, this, <laughs> this all makes too much sense now. Uh, I'm glad this yeah, full I just, circle. I just now need to write an article about dinosaurs and then I'll be golden. You might be spreading yourself too thin if you start specializing in dinosaurs. But I mean, if you want you that know, you never your specialty, know. you start dinosaur freelancing. There's probably hot <laughs> dinosaur sites out there. 
don't go I'm, hot dinosaur site. That's oh my god. I'm just when you say like dinosaur freelancing, I'm imagining like oh I can be a dinosaur. Yeah, you know, on the weekends, <laughs> like a kid's party. It's pretty much yeah. what Barney does. Barney's essentially a dinosaur freelancer. Or maybe a Basically, full-time yeah. dinosaur. Okay, I'm going to get way too into this if I keep talking about <laughs> it. Uh, thank you so much for kind of, again, it, it's good to get back to freelancing and the business of it and kind of where it's at and the places to write for it. I think you were the perfect person for that. So totally appreciate uh, you coming on and explaining all this to us people and all those people out there who really want to get paid to write about games. Yeah, thank you. Um, I had a lot of fun. And can I just say one thing? Yes. Um, for people who want to actually write about games, um, I would just like caution that it is the hardest thing. Yeah. It is tough, and you're gonna write a lot for not a lot of pay, and you got you gotta really love it. You can't just be like, I want to get free games, or I kind of like son like Sonic or Nintendo. Like I can write about games. Like you gotta really be like involved and love what you're doing and engage in the conversations that are going on on the internet. As long as you know the the correct conversations, not the crazy ones, yeah, and of course, there's always crazy ones. But if you engage with the right conversations and you know this is like what you love talking about, then go for it. But I, I do, I do put a little like disclaimer there. Yeah, I just want to make sure that that's there. Totally, and I think that's something I always try to do too. Where if someone asks me like, oh, I'm so excited to get into this, like I'm gonna get started, like you have to have certain expectations and manage them. It's not, this is not an easy thing to get into. Um, yeah, it's not an easy thing to get paid for, and it's a near impossible thing to get full-time benefits everything paid for like that's as someone who grew up with that being like my one plan was like i'm gonna write about games full-time like i have consider a lot of what i've done a success and i'm proud of where i am but i still don't Mm -hmm. have that full-time gig and this is someone who you know i've been doing this for six seven years at this point uh it's it's hard um if you love it and you are unbelievably passionate. Like I know I definitely was when I was coming up. Like I 100% think you should go for it. But yeah. don't make sure you have that backup plan. Make sure you have something in case, and there's a good chance, those full-time spots don't open up. And by the time, if you're in college right now and you graduate college four years from now, landscape is going to be different. I don't know what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so be prepared for that. It's, it's, it is important. Don't put all of your eggs in this basket. Uh, Ex- exactly. It's And... I do like my part-time job freelancing thing because it does give me the freedom to not worry as much about money. So if that is open and you are looking to get into games writing, that's something I would definitely recommend is having something else. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I um, mean, just make sure make sure you stay relevant in it. Make sure you're doing it and keeping your name out there and getting better. But yeah, again, I would always suggest the and it's hard, but you're almost going to have to have two jobs if. if if you want to, yeah. if you want to maintain your, you know, like I might still be able to get into a full time job because if there's like a three year gap where it's like, what happened here? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I kind of got over it. Um, <laughs> maybe don't do that. But yeah, it's yes. know what you're getting into. Um, and another thing you yes. should get into is uh, if you're listening at this point, please go to iTunes uh, and make sure you leave a a review for this podcast because it's uh i have to say it's been just cool getting all the reactions and i really appreciate all the reviews and this this thing that i started on a whim uh which i thought would maybe get five people a week has become much more than that and i'm super you know happy with it Mm -hmm. so if you like this and you like the guests if you hate all the guests you should still review it anyway and say it's great um just go there and review then let me let me know 
it'd be awesome. Uh, <laughs> share the love. So uh, again, Carly, thank you. This is uh, I'm glad we did this because I really do think this is uh, a lot of the kind of the real talk from people who have been through it. That's important mm-hmm. to get out there. I, I, I agree. And I, yeah, I, do, I appreciate podcasts like this that talk about the business of writing. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that people are actually listening to it. Yeah. And I appreciate you having me on. Totally. Hopefully this eventually this could become the marquee shop talk freelance <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that is the goal. Uh, you know, what? it doesn't, moderate success is still success uh, so again thank you yeah and uh thanks everyone for listening and hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099